Good morning. For those of you still choosing to worship from home or wherever you might be, welcome to our Sunday morning worship on Sunday the 13th of September. Just one announcement this morning, and that's in relation to our long-delayed annual general meeting of the congregation, which we must have to approve our reports and accounts for 2019. This will take place after the church service in church on Sunday the 27th of September for those who can be present. Let us come and worship God. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Let's pray. Lord of creation and recreation, we praise you that you are the builder of a kingdom that can never be shaken. Help us in this period of rebuilding, in life and in church and in the wider world. Help us to rediscover the glory of small and slow, the, the beauty of planting and patience. Give us the kind of faith that frees us from hurry and worry and enlarge our hearts and make us generous in giving. Make our eyes keen to perceive what you're growing among us, even in these times. Lord, it's so easy for us to slip back thoughtlessly into old ways as the speed of having to get up and going again picks up pace. But help us not to miss what you want to teach us through all that we've experienced, the kind of change that you want to bring to our lives. We confess, Lord, that it's so easy to have our heads turned by the voices of the world, summoning us to a lifestyle that doesn't reflect the heart-changing ways of your kingdom. We realise, Lord, the ever-present danger of minimising those core things that you want to bring back into focus, calling us to prioritise them once again. Lord, grant us a discerning heart shaped by attentiveness to your word, soaked in prayerfulness, watchful for what you are doing in and around us. Not so taken up with all the nuts and bolts of what has to be done and how, that we miss the wood for the trees. Help us, Lord, to trust in you with all our heart, not to lean on our own understanding or be distracted by the ever-changing sound bites of the world. Enable us to see and acknowledge you in all our ways, personal, home, family, social, working, church and community life. Straighten our steps on your path ahead for our lives as we edge into your new normal for the glory of Jesus who taught us to pray our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Our Bible reading today is taken from the book of Nehemiah, and we're reading chapter 2 and verses 11 to 20. Let us hear the word of God. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite and Geshem the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of all heaven will give us success. We his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. May God bless to us this reading of his word. Not many of us have had need of our passports this summer. But if you have one of these British passports, I wonder have you ever taken the time to read the words on the inside front cover? Here's what they say. Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires in the name of Her Majesty all those who it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. Very powerful words. Words with royal authority. Words which seek to guarantee safe passage to any British citizen on a journey abroad. Today we're dipping in to the story of Nehemiah as he embarks upon a long journey from his home in Persia to Jerusalem, his ancestral home. And his reason for travelling was to go and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed by the Babylonians almost 150 years earlier. And of course many of its inhabitants at that time were carried off into exile. That's how long Jerusalem had been in ruins, despite the fact 
that many exiles had already returned from Babylon. Now Nehemiah had enjoyed quite a nice lifestyle in Babylon. He was a high-ranking palace official, close to the king, his cupbearer. You might have thought, well, he might have been quite content simply to, just to get on with his job and with enjoying the life that he led. But Nehemiah was deeply grieved by news that he just heard from his brother returned from Jerusalem about the disgraceful, sorry state of the city. He prayed to God about it, confessing his sins and the sins of his fellow Israelites. He was so down and broken in spirit about what he heard that the king grew really concerned that something was not right. Remember, it was very important that Nehemiah, in his position as cupbearer, should be someone who was utterly trustworthy. So Nehemiah nervously reported to the king what was on his mind. And astonishingly, the king agreed to let him go to Jerusalem to restore the city. Not only that, but he granted him safe passage and practical support when he got there. Special letters with words similar to the ones we see inside our passports today. Letters that ensured Nehemiah enjoyed a smooth and uneventful journey to Jerusalem with soldiers and with cavalry. It must have felt a wee bit like us getting given a free upgrade to first class. And Nehemiah recognised that God's hand was in this. That God's hand was upon him to do this task. And knowing that was going to prove to be very important indeed for Nehemiah in the days ahead. Our passage today picks up where Nehemiah's journey reaches its end and his thoughts turn to the task now in front of him, the task of rebuilding, of starting over. Never an easy task. Can you just imagine Nehemiah's feelings when he was finally able to see with his own eyes what had been described to him? This city in ruins, a shadow of what it had once been. The city his parents and grandparents had spoken about from when he was a wee boy. The place where God had chosen as a dwelling for his name, now a disgrace. Nehemiah must have started with an awful sense of what had been lost. There would be such a long way to go to get back to what had been before. Not just these physical crumbling walls, but a whole community needing to be rebuilt. Confidence in the future needing to be rebuilt. Perhaps we looking around us at the scale of a massive rebuilding project today following the coronavirus pandemic, which is by no means over yet. Uh, we find ourselves looking and thinking how so many things have been impacted. Airlines, shops, restaurants, sport, the entertainment industry. So many pillars of life led waste. And of course here in our church life too, we're going to find ourselves having to rebuild our worshipping life, our care for one another, our organisations, our choir, our outreach, our finances. Even before this, let's face it, the church, uh, being church in a rapidly changing world, wasn't getting any easier. 
And now there's a huge challenge of rebuilding, of starting again for us. For Nehemiah, I think it would have been very easy to get discouraged, to think it's too much. Um, and at times we too feel like we're taking one step forward and, and two steps back, maybe. Nehemiah realised the huge task that was in front of him, but there was also something deep down inside him that knew that God had put this task on his heart to do and that God, therefore, would give him success. And like any good builder, Nehemiah started with doing a survey of the work needing done, but a survey done at night in secret so that he himself could see what needed done before going public with his plans. What exactly was broken down? What parts of the walls most needed strengthening? I wonder what such a survey on our, of our own church would reveal just now. What's been lost through these trying times? And what's been gained? Because perhaps there are things that have been gained as well. Where might we start to rebuild it was only after doing his survey that Nehemiah decided to share his plans with the leaders of Jerusalem, including its priests, its nobles and officials. And he says to them, you see the trouble that we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. He tells it as it is, doesn't he? He's quite realistic about the challenge with others who need to share with him the work of rebuilding. He tells them about the trouble that they're in, but he also gives them encouragement. Encouragement as he tells them of God's gracious hand in releasing him from King Artaxerxes' service and providing for the rebuilding. And I think you can see what was really important for Nehemiah, can't you? Yes, it was important to make the city secure and to protect it against attack. But what really motivated Nehemiah was a desire to glorify God. He tells us that the Jews faced derision and disgrace because of the state of their city. But more seriously, the ruinous state of, of the city had brought dishonour to God. You can just imagine the jeers of the enemies of Israel. What kind of God would allow his people to fall into such ruin? The place where they say their God had chosen as a dwelling for his name in ruins. Nehemiah understood that a derelict city not only brought about disgrace to God's people, but it brought about dishonour to God himself. How passionate are we to bring honour to God's name in our day? Whether it be in our lives as individuals, through which God wants us to honour him, or our lives together as his people, through which God wants us to witness to the world of his glory. Any of you brought up in the Shorter Catechism will know how it starts that our Chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Before anything else, before being successful, popular, wealthy, or anything else you might think of, before all those things, our chief end 
in life is to glorify God. That's what he wants for us. And that's what Nehemiah seemed to be so passionate about, that he left everything and travelled to Jerusalem to take on this great project which God had put on his heart to do. What might that look like for us in our day? How might you glorify God? Maybe in big ways, maybe in smaller ways, maybe just every day at school, at university, at work, at home, in church. Is it your passion to glorify God with your life and your plans? If that's what you want in life, to give God glory, then he will open up the way before you. You will know his hand upon you, just in the way that Nehemiah was so powerfully aware of uh, God's hand upon himself. God had given him safe passage. God gave him his protection. God gave him all the resources that he would need to do what God meant for him to do. But that didn't mean that he faced no challenges. In fact, straight away there were challenges. No sooner had the work started than setbacks occurred. And these setbacks came in the form of mockery and ridicule at the, at the idea that these people could ever rebuild the walls. It came in the form of three neighbouring provincial governors, Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem, who were told were, were really disturbed by the fact that someone was trying to promote the welfare of the, the Israelites. These were influential opponents who had the power to really frustrate Nehemiah's plans. So if Nehemiah was to succeed, it wasn't going to be a walk in the park. He was going to have to face up to opposition from some powerful forces. And if we're faithful followers of Jesus today, if we're seeking God's glory, then we too should expect opposition. Temptations, trials, frustrations, things that might trip us up on a personal level, and also challenges and big setbacks if we're uh, big setbacks that we face together as a, a community of God's people. There may be challenges that we can see ahead on the horizon, or challenges ahead that we know nothing about yet. And look at how Nehemiah responded to those challenges and those setbacks. He responds by pointing people to God. And by getting on with the work, he tells people, and he, he, he tells the people, and he tells his opponents, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. That was a confident thing for him to say, wasn't it? But this is not just self-confidence or confidence in the support of King Artaxerxes. Uh, or even in Nehemiah's own building skills. This is confidence in God. God who gives strength when facing an uphill task. God who enables us to hold our nerve when we're confronted with opposition and setbacks. Nehemiah knew deep down in his heart that God was with him. He had great confidence in the Lord. And this confidence was obviously Highly infectious. Talk about coronavirus being infectious. 
The kind of confidence that Nehemiah had in his God infected those around him almost instantaneously. Yes, the people said. When Nehemiah told them about his plan and how God's hand was upon him and what the king had said to him, yes, let's start, let's begin the work of rebuilding. And if you read on, you'll discover that the people of Jerusalem set to work with great gusto. From the high priest to Jews right across the land, they began the work of rebuilding and starting over. And that confidence was well placed. How long did it take? Ten years? Five years? Just 52 days. By God's grace and protection. God's people completed their rebuilding project in little more than a month. And then there's a wonderful irony at the end of this story. Chapter 6 and verse 15 where it says, When all our enemies heard about this, about the walls being rebuilt, all the things that were done, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realised that this work had been done with the help of our God. In other words, the work got done because of confidence in God who was there to help. And we can be confident that for us too, the Lord will complete the construction work that has begun in our church, in our own lives. Even when great setbacks come, God will complete his good work in you, in us. If we place our confidence in him and if we seek his glory. May God give all of us such confidence and such a passion for the glory of his name as we share together in the work of rebuilding. Amen. Let us come to God now with our prayers for one another and our prayers for our world. Let's pray. Lord, we pray today for those in need around our world. We remember all those thousands of refugees on the island of Lesbos, driven from their homes in places like Syria, and now once again with no place to lay their heads. Lord, have mercy upon them. May European governments, including our own, have mercy and compassion and act quickly to do what's right in your eyes. May these people get the attention and the help that they need to rebuild their lives in this unjust world. Lord, in the fight against coronavirus and the sincere efforts to get our economy going again, help our governments not to forget about the issues of climate change and global inequality. Help them take the opportunity to learn the lessons and to start afresh in ways that are better and more just. We pray, Lord, for more solidarity between nations at this time when we need one another. For all those negotiating Brexit, Lord, we pray that you would yet enable a settlement that restores the best of working relationships between the United Kingdom and the European, European Union and Ireland North and South. We pray for those who will be most impacted by Brexit, including business 
and farming sectors and those who live in border communities. Lord, help them to plan and prepare for what's ahead. We remember all going through challenging times at the moment, times of grief, times of loss, battles with illness, problems with relationships. In the silence, Lord, bring to our minds those who so need our prayers today. Come, Holy Spirit. Come into each of those situations to bring your healing and grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, be upon you and remain with you this day and forevermore. Amen.